Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're talking Netflix original film, The White Tiger. The White Tiger. (laughs) That was not an Indian accent. Nope. How dare you even suggest that I was intending it to be. Pop quiz, Priyanka Chopra is married to whom? Jonas. A Jonas. The Joe, I think. (laughs) Joe Jonas. I'm impressed, Wes. This is the third feature from Ramin Barani, and he did 99 Homes, which I really liked. That year when I went to uh, Telluride, that was actually my favorite movie of the festival that year. And so White Tiger, I was like, oh, Ramin Barani, it can't be that bad. And was it? Let me get this straight. Balram is telling his entire story as an epistolary Uh in a letter. Email. In an email to the Chinese dude. Chinese prime minister. Uh Uh-huh. And detailing his life and the stork and the murder, all this stuff. That's that's what's happening? Yep. Okay. That's at least least the justification for the narrative uh, structure, the voiceover narration. And so that shaky, janky little footbridge is where we start on this journey. A weird way to go for a weird movie. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing that I noted was it felt like a Wes Anderson movie to me. I was like, <laughs> I is can this see that. Wes Anderson's Slumdog Millionaire? Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, he did the Darjeeling Limited and stuff. And I was determined not to reference Slumdog Millionaire until this movie referenced Slumdog Millionaire. But there were some <laughs> parallels and it was aware of those parallels. I didn't mind the narrative device um, structurally, but I did mind when it was used too liberally. Like there were parts where, you know, you know, where syntactically it didn't make sense in his email. Right. Or when he would break the fourth wall and speak to camera. Oh, yeah, there was that, too. So, you know, device wise, I don't know that it was um, masterfully used or, or, or consistently used, but I didn't mind it. It helped. His motivations were pretty inconsistent. I thought that this was a movie about a person who uses their intellect and craftiness to get to a place where they couldn't otherwise be that defies, you know, the the cultural norms. And then I was like, wait a second, I'm actually talking about the American dream. And the American dream's like kind of dead, or at least that's what White Tiger is trying to say, right? I think that you're talking about this rise to, to capitalistic success being 
a sort of a parallel for the American, typical American dream. I think that the gimmick of using India in the same way that Slumdog Millionaire did in a slightly more romantic vein, this was meant to be more gritty and real, but it was a curiosity of the extreme, like he was literally dirt poor. Like squatting in the dirt, living in yeah. the dirt poor. And he grew to, you know, excessive wealth. And it is a success, but I think it uses the backdrop of India to heighten that reality. Because you couldn't make that movie about a kid from the South Bay in California. He, I wouldn't say that he grew to excessive wealth, but he's a business owner. And he's definitely doing better than he was when he was basically stuck between two families who were using him. Not only was he not being used, but he was trying to be a fair and benevolent boss to his drivers yeah. in his taxi business or whatever. He didn't have the the big belly, but he did have he could afford a ponytail. <laughs> right. I don't know actually what that says in Indian society, uh, but he could afford to, to rock it shamelessly. This is like slow dog millionaire. But essentially, it's the same thing. He came from the slums and, and rose to prominence, and there were gangsters and stuff. It was kind of a gangster movie. Did, <laughs> did you just call it Slow Dog Millionaire? Did you just try to slip that in there? Is it because he's so accommodating and kind of he kind of seems like he might be kind of slow? No, not him. I'm talking about this. This I don't know about you. <laughs> this felt like three and a half hours to me. Yeah, well, I mean, we're they're trying to justify his trajectory. His um, conflict and his subservience and, and that very difficult time where he's navigating his mom or his the matriarch of the family was basically like a leech who was, you know, saying all you're good for is to go out work and make money and support your family, which, you know, maybe isn't that far from the truth. Yeah, I was happy to see that chick get shanked. Yeah, in a way, <laughs> in a way although we only saw it in, imagine, in imagination, right? It happened on screen. It happened in my mind. But when it happened on screen, it was in his imagination. Still happened. Still counts. Right. <laughs> and then this other family where, you know, um, where they're using him and Priyanka Chopra is our kind of, um, you know, emissary. She's representing the North American perspective. And um, but also in her own way, she looks down on him and she and she abuses him, or at least she's complicit in allowing him to be scapegoated for her crime. But all that to say that we spent a lot of time with him being conflicted and I was about I was thinking the entire time like at what point is he going to use his wits and use his mind which you know it doesn't matter where you come from as long as you have one to get ahead get out do better yeah I'm not sure that he ever would have I think they triggered his fight or flight instinct when they put him in a compromising position with the confession, which is really jacked up. But I agree what you're saying about uh, Priyanka, she, just in that she was, I guess, because she had, you know, been abroad and stuff, was the American perspective in a way. I felt like this was the like the farewell in the sense that the India backdrop was a visual journey that I'm not sure would play the same way to Indians. It's a, a cultural experience from an American perspective is how I think this movie was intended to be viewed. Would you agree? Yes, I was. I think it was intended to be viewed from a Western perspective. But not, not to trap you in that perspective, but also in certain points, it was impenetrable. 
I mean, they went pretty deep and they flipped between Hindi and English. And it just so happened that we watched this on Netflix and it's always set up for subtitles. But boy, I feel like it was a good thing because how rapidly they switched between Hindi and, and English. And that's how I could tell that they were actually speaking Hindi is because the subtitles told me. But a lot of the <laughs> customs and traditions are confounding. The idea that they wouldn't tell Mama that she was dying. Nine-nine. Nine-nine. And then... The idea that, that he would come up his entire life with only the desire to serve and that the people who only have a desire to subjugate and to make people rub their gross legs when they're rich would use them, use those people, that mindset to their advantage. It was a prominent display of the discrepancy in the caste system, which, as he said at that point, was reduced to two. Big bellies, small bellies, rich and poor, basically mean and subservient. And I think that because of how ingrained his subservience was in his mind, in his DNA even, you could say, I think that's why we spent so much time in that internal conflict that he's experiencing. Because he's basically having to go against his entire nature to get out of this place, to get out of his position in life. Um, and I and I think that... Um, I think you kind of summed up the cultural um, messages pretty tidily, right? It wasn't... They didn't get too much in the intricacies of of Indian culture, or if they did, we at least understood enough to, to, to be able to track the story. But I think the most important thing to understand about Indian culture is that when they shake their head from side to side, like a bobblehead, <laughs> it means yes. I think if we don't understand that, you're going to be very confused when you watch this movie. I mean, I was a little bit confused and then I was a little bit bored and then they would punctuate it with moments of great importance that would push the story forward. And then I would quickly grow bored again until the next moment because it did luxuriate in this lifestyle where he was coming up for an awfully long time. And so I wondered how if we, you know, if that was engaging to a, a different audience, to an Indian audience in, in particular. Was it engaging to you? Did you find it to be suspenseful? We knew that somebody running out into the road was an inevitability. We were going to get to that place from the cold open. So when it didn't happen, like forever, just when I was starting to pull back in my interest, uh, then we got there and they made him sign the confession. And I was like, this is interesting. <laughs> And, then and messed up. Then it became about Pinky and, and the brain, and I stopped caring again until the inevitability happened, until they had their little confrontation, and the bird was in the window. And I was like, he's dead. There it is, the farewell harbinger of death. He's dead. <laughs> and I didn't know when or how he was going to die. And so when it took a while for him to die, I was like, mm, I'm bored again, until he died. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm good again. And this movie was a roller coaster of, uh, of attention. And focus. I, I get what you're saying, but I'm good again. You did not find Ashok's death to be satisfying. Did you? No, but I also didn't know if, how he was going to pull it off, if it was going to work, if his whole family was going to be murdered as a result. So it was interesting. But did you think that Ballroom was going to murder him, like in yes. cold blood in the rain? Yes. On the side of the road? Yes. For reals? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, when he put the bottle down and said, mind the bottle... I was like, uh-oh, maybe this isn't going to go well. I mean, it was pretty graphic, and we lingered on it for a long time, and it kind of took him a long time to die, but it went exactly as I expected it to. But we were rooting for Ballroom, and then all of a sudden he's a cold-blooded murderer. Yeah, but we we were also rooting for him after knowing that the child was murdered, that, that, some, that kid probably died. And when that kid actually died, I was struggling with him like, 
man, he's like, he went into problem solver mode and the people who ultimately submitted him to the fate of being the signed confessional person, the, they were the hysterical ones. And he didn't care about that kid one bit. I thought he was putting it on to try to save his job, to try to save his position, because if the whole thing fell apart, he couldn't drive for them anymore. And it wasn't. He didn't go back and check on the kid, didn't care. I think it was honestly true when he's like, yeah, these people have 10, 20 kids and they don't even know where they are half the time. He just didn't let it get in the way of his mission or his priorities. Imagine in an American movie, if they had used the death of a child in the road to further the plot. Then what? I don't know. It just seemed awfully cavalier. Ah, <laughs> huh, interesting. Um, the child is so faceless, nameless, and written off by the characters that it's kind of gross to confess, but I didn't really think too much about it, about it her him either i did that's kind of weird i mean i wasn't focused like no 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 this movie can't continue because i thought inevitably they would address it or that he would go and confess or he would secretly send them money the family money or something and that just never seemed to be the case i thought that they were going to be justice for barb barb stranger things oh <laughs> not a lot so okay yeah not a lot of closure for the kid manslaughter crime that's kind of weird for whatever Ballroom's motivation was, he went, He did go into damage control mode. And then they scapegoat him, which we're supposed to feel is a great is a great injustice. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was fooled. Maybe he did think that they saw him as part of the family. And then for certain, then he, then he knew. He was reminded of his place in life and that if he was going to rise up, he had to take matters into his own hands and maybe be as ruthless as his employers. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah, I think it's good. I think he uh, was free to experience that arc in my mind. I wanted to see how it would land for him because I didn't care about a single other person in this movie. I didn't care about Pinky. I didn't care about Ashok. I didn't care what happened to them. I didn't care about what the great socialist or his employer or the stork or whatever. I didn't care. And so I just wanted to see what was going to happen to what was his name? <laughs> <laughs> Ballroom. No one was really presented as being particularly likable nope. in this film. Not even our, but not even Ballroom, really. I, I mean, mean, in the end. I feel like this movie wasn't altogether surprising. And so it was a long journey down the river to get to where I wasn't surprised. And so that was kind of difficult. I mean, we saw him with his ponytail and his gangster cane and stuff. And when we ultimately get to the end, he says, is it crime? He said that you're either you, that's the two choices in life, right? Crime or politics. I'm not sure if Balram chose crime or politics because I didn't see them as being so different in this movie. One being the gangster of the stork and the other being the great socialist. And they were both kind of criminals and politicians. Yeah. Likewise, That's he said, you know, he spent this whole movie saying you can't get out of the coop. You can't get out of the coop. And then at the end, he looks to camera and says, I made it out of the coop and walks off screen. And I was like, you didn't make it out of the coop. It's just a different coop. His <sighs> success story is rife with grief, with uncertainty. It feels like all we're talking about here is money. That's always been the case. It was the case for the great socialist. It was the case for the stork. It was the case for Balram's family. And ultimately, it's the case for him. But maybe he seems strangely at ease after everything he had to go through, the multiple people he had to kill. Is it a success story for him to be where he is, even though two people died and his family may be dead? He's not sure. Cinematically speaking or like in life? <laughs> 
shouldn't those two be be one and the same? I mean, in life, things are just a, always a lot more complicated than our narrative structure allows. It sounds like a justification. But life doesn't. What I'm life doesn't adhere to our tidy narrative structures. Like we add narrative to life in order to understand it. Like in uh, the Tom Hanks movie where he's in the hot tub with the chicks, um, <laughs> and he's way too old. <laughs> What's that movie? Are you talking about Charlie Wilson's War? <laughs> and then Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, and then the do, and then the Emperor's son gets the horse, and they're like, yay! And then he falls off the horse, and he's like, boo! And then he wins this special award because while he's bedridden, he writes a novel. Yay! And, you know, life goes on. And whether life has a happy ending is just kind of dependent upon what part you're looking at. If I wanted the movie, wanted to watch a movie about life, I would pay attention to my life instead of watching movies and talking about movies in the podcast. Well, we can do that, too. I mean, we kind of do do that. Ultimately, it was difficult because, like you said, more like life, there's not a definitive act of redemption. This wasn't a promising young woman. He He's left to reconcile himself with his past if he even cares to do that. He can't go back to his life. He doesn't identify as the person he was before, doesn't know or seek to find out with all his wealth what happened to his family. Doesn't know. This is where he is. And it feel it just feels like he broke through the wall into another area of the coop. Huh. I don't know why I'm trying to understand the American dream vis-a-vis this movie, but there are so many things about him where he's embodying the American dream, where it, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you get ahead with your wits and your talent. It doesn't matter where you come from. And yet, this is like the anti-American dream, where it's like death to the white man. It's time for the brown and the yellow, and you get ahead with crime and murder. And I mean, not that those two things are the same at all, but those two messages, even if they're kind of unrelated, are conflicting for me. American dream for me has always been the ability to have, the ability to use, to enjoy at your disposal air conditioning, which he got in his supercar. <laughs> I think I'm using American dream wrong. What I'm trying to say is your own freedom is is a state of mind. And a, and a true place of opportunity is one where you can experience that freedom and achieve your dreams without people systematically keeping you down. Now, is this culturally or mentally, psychologically? Because I feel like the American dream has always been built around capitalism and money is 99% of the motivation in this movie. Yeah. Money and air conditioning. And just the idea of happiness. Maybe that's what we're getting to. He has achieved all the success that he could possibly hope to attain, given his original station in life. But I don't think he's happy any more than I think the the dream, the concept of the American dream, as it was presented in the 50s, ultimately leads to happiness in the I Love Lucy hmm. sense. Because it doesn't work that way. The subservience of women and the, the suppression of the feminine voice and the man being the master of the house who can spank the wife if she doesn't have dinner ready or whatever. It's it's just an idea. And, and in a way, it's a larger, you know, if we can tie it philosophically to this movie because I'm deep like that. In a way, this movie felt like it was impactful and important. And to me, it was sort of meandering, confusing and inaccessible in a way. I mean, I wasn't trying super hard to get every nuance of Indian culture that I didn't understand, but it seems like 
especially Balram for where he ends up as the narrator for this movie. He looks you dead in the eye. He looks us dead in the eye and asserts that he made it. Not only did he make it, but he is going at the forefront of this revolution that will overthrow the white man in favor of the brown man or the yellow man. He did it, and he did it for his people, for his culture, for all time. And and he did it by nefarious means, and he did it without good conscience. And I think that that's what this movie wants us to believe, at least from the perspective of his character. It's like when someone comes at you with a really good insult to really put you in your place, and they walk away all satisfied because they got the last word, and you're like, okay, I don't... I didn't believe his conviction in the end because I don't think he did it. I don't think he won. I think he got to the place where he was going to be happy, but it didn't threaten me as a viewer who, if we were going to take sides here, represented the white person to be put down that he was coming for. (laughs) So you weren't threatened and you didn't feel defensive and you didn't and you weren't maybe even a little hurt where he was like down with the white man and up with the brown and the yellow man. Look, it's like in Bruges when the race wars happen, I'm siding with the Japanese. I mean, aren't we we're all Asians, right? They're just southern Asians. I can review this movie from the quote-unquote white perspective until the shit hits the fan and then I'm siding with the yellow people. Come at me, bro. Well, I mean, he is coming for you. That's the point. Sure. So I calculated this immense wealth. He said he was worth roughly 15 times what he took from Ashok after murdering him, right? He built it into his driver's empire, which came out to just over 800,000 U.S. in today's dollars. And while that's a significant amount of money, it's about $800,000 more than I personally have. (laughs) If Balram wants to come for me with less than a million dollars, come at me, bro. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, when you think about it in relative terms, that's probably, he was a baller, you know, in India. Was he the white tiger? Was he the once in a generation? I'm going to go with he was the white tiger because he was certainly the breakout. He was the one who cast down the caste system, found his way to riches, prosperity, and wealth, doing what he had to do. He was a once in a lifetime, and not many people can do that in his station in life. At the same time, from our perspective, we know that white tigers don't come along once in a lifetime. We know that we can see them at Siegfried and Roy's garden right now because you just have to breed them correctly or by num- by virtue of selective breeding and just probability of an albino tiger. It's not this mystery sent down by one of four million gods. Sometimes it happens. They're not that hard to find. You just got to have the money to find them. So I think he was the white tiger, but from his perspective, from our perspectives, white tigers aren't all that difficult to come by or aren't all that special because I ascribed no spiritual significance to that animal. It's nice that he has his life. I wouldn't trade my current life to go to Bangalore to have it. But what I will say is that Ardash Gurav, who played Balram, entirely a new face to me. I thought he did a great job. I thought the gross, slimy servant who was kind of backstabbing in a way, but still coming up from where he did and being totally subservient and downcast eyes and posture ultimately evolved into his confident swagger and his rage, his sadness, having to see the changes in emotion in his face in extreme close-up when he was scapegoated and stuff. I thought he did a great job for someone that I've never heard of, never seen on screen before. 
And so in yeah. that way, I found it really enjoyable to watch his journey. I didn't understand all of it. He carried a really big, really long ass movie. I was ultimately unsatisfied with The White Tiger because it, w- it contradicted itself that anyone can rise up, but only if you do it through murder. I wanted to like him and I wanted to be happy for him and I wasn't in the end. And that's that's probably me coming at this from a way, way too oversimplified point of view. But ultimately, I think it, it did contradict itself despite whatever I might have wanted it to be. That being said, it's well done. I kind of can't give it a, a boring if it sustained me just because it was unsatisfying. So... So what is your ultimate rating on The White Tiger? We got to come down one way or the other. So on The White Tiger, I'm going to give a good. I honestly have to say this is probably the closest I've come to letting your position influence my own because I was on the fence. And I don't know. I don't know. A lot of good things about The White Tiger. A lot of things that maybe were I was defensive about from a Western perspective. But I feel like I was edging towards also an all right rating where I think it crosses the line because it is a skilled filmmaking. It maybe loses its way a little bit, but it was good to watch. This character was good to watch. Even if the things that he did were questionable to my eyes, it was compelling for most of the time. I would have chopped 20 or 30 minutes out of it. That's just me. The White Tiger, a Netflix original film, raises some interesting questions for us, but ultimately it clears the bar. You got an all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on... Iris's highest rating. <laughs> and one of my two ratings. Um, that's our review on The White Tiger. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com at or whatever movies on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electric acid.